at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Troy Nunes is an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello. Hello, everyone. Jared, is that you, too? Oh, that's me. Great. Uh, Before we jump in, just want to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor, Audible.com. They're a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information, and you can listen to audiobooks wherever and whenever you want and get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash noonsmagician. All right. So uh, a lot to talk about. This is that busy kind of few weeks where both of Syracuse's, well, one of Syracuse's major sport and a lesser sport that costs a lot of money take place. So plenty to discuss. Um, figure we go with the less positive one first. Um, football. That that is still going on, despite uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm I've never been so tapped out of a football season, and I don't feel great about it. But I feel like that's just the healthiest approach to take at this point. And you were so lucky you weren't there for the Greg Robinson years, because it can get so much more checked out than this. Oh, I was there for the last one. That's true. <laughs> Although we beat Notre Dame. Before we really jump in, um, can I just ask, do you you guys hear a loud hissing noise when I'm talking or not? I do not. Awesome. Nope. You're good. Cool. Yeah, I I would also mention before we... You have a snake in the background or something, Dan, or what's going on? (laughs) No. um, I somehow drew the, the honor of having the bedroom in my new apartment that has a large uh, pipe thing that the hot water for the entire building goes through, and it is loud as hell every so often. And that now is one of those times, but if you guys can't hear it, that's fine with me. Well, it sounds like New York for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, where I, I where think, are you in New York, though, Dan? I, I'm in Manhattan, actually, uh, up uh, in the Hamilton Heights, Harlem area. Okay, my I have a my one of my best friends from high school lives in like thirtieth and third. I don't know exactly where in the Manhattan area that is, uh, like what area it is. But uh, I always love going down and visiting him. So it's it's I'll be down there usually in March is usually when I come down. Yeah, that's that. I mean, it's not a bad time, especially uh, 
hopefully in a couple of years when we have the ACC tournament down in Brooklyn, uh, definitely try to make it to that. That should be fun. Indeed. Okay, John. Sorry, we hijacked the podcast for a little bit. No, it's sorry for hijacking myself. Yeah, I know. I've been I, I, I've been pining for for Christmas to get a uh, to get a USB mic so we can uh, improve the audio quality on these things. So, so for for yeah, all the uh, for all the commenters who have wanted better audio quality, we're getting there. I promise. Well, we're saying we're getting there. We we actually haven't done anything. On the like actually getting there part, but we 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 know about it. <laughs> We've marked down the problem. We're aware of it. That's as far as it's going to go. Anyway, speaking football, of marking down um, problems and being aware of them, Syracuse football. The <laughs> <laughs> depth chart that doesn't matter. Um, it's it, it's a minor qualm, really, but at the same time, I'm I really wish we could just have a depth chart that was just indicative of who's going to be on the field. I know it's like, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, but it would just really, really make my day to have a depth chart that I could look at as someone who covers the team and go, oh, this is who's playing on Saturday. It's funny because, like, you think that, you know, maybe they're doing some, like, weird coaching posturing where they don't want to release the depth chart for reasons, and then, oh, you can spring AJ Long on someone. But if you're just going to go ahead and say it, like say that someone's playing who's not in the depth chart, then what's the point? Just put them on the depth chart. Yeah, I mean, especially when it comes to uh, Syracuse's quarterback uh, situation in general, I just feel like what what better way to to encourage ticket sales uh, going forward, what better way to get fans to go down, hit, potentially watch the game, and to tell people, hey, like, A.J. Long's actually playing. Like, you might want to watch it, <laughs> like, in some way, shape, or form. Like, it's nothing against Austin Wilson either. It's just to say, like, if you were picking which quarterback would be more exciting to watch and, and who was really going to factor in to, uh, you know, the future of the program and the backfield, um, I think you want to see A.J. Long. But, yeah, it's, it's puzzling why, like, this is like a delayed announcement. I think I really enjoy uh, not, like, having, like, Austin Wilson and Mitch Kimball out there uh, just because, like, you just don't know what's going to happen. So that's the marketing play that I'm going to go with, right? You just, like, whoever, we don't know what quarterback's going to show up this week. So, show you know, show up to the game and find out. It could be fun. That's a, that's a bit of a dice roll. Yeah, <laughs> it's Syracuse next year. Syracuse will have the uh, the gambling package, where you get you get a fifty dollar <laughs> betting token to, to Turning Stone, and you also get to play Russian roulette with who Syracuse's quarterback <laughs> before every game. So does everybody feel like uh, Syracuse is going to win their next two games, football wise? And uh, did make I know there was a. Uh, in the roundtable discussion, I guess we can spoil it a little bit, but I uh, about what's the difference between three wins and five wins. And I did point out the fact that if we did actually get the end, end up getting the five wins, we'd actually finish fourth uh, in our division in the ACC. So, that, you know, that's something to play for. I guess you'd be playing behind Florida State, Clemson, and Louisville, and you'd finish fourth because 
you'd have the BC tiebreaker, and you, you I don't know, at this point, I don't think that uh, NC State's going to beat North Carolina. So, um, uh, I mean, that's something that uh, North Carolina So that's something to play for, right? I also think there's a little bit of significance here where a normal 3-17 and 17 wouldn't have it because these final two games are Pitt and BC of all teams, the two real Northeastern rivals, uh, especially on the recruiting trail that we have. Um, so while, you know, if we, we're not going to get to a bowl game or anything, obviously, um, gaining some momentum against those two programs uh, would, would, would be nice. And, you know, there's not a huge substantive difference. Like no one's going to be touting Syracuse as a five and seven team that's you know on the come up or anything, but it it just would look better uh, than being three and nine. Three and nine is really like a really rough year. Yeah, I mean, if it were up to me, I'd split the difference at four and eight. Um, I'd love to send Pitt home without a ball game, despite the fact that Miami's going to do the same thing the next week anyway. Um, but, I don't know. I mean, it, it could be either. I just think I'd like to win one of the next two. To get to 4-8, to feel like, despite all the injuries, despite all the, the terrible things that happened, you know, we weren't really that far away from ball eligibility. I, I do think, overall, like, 5-7 and seven would just be such a smack in the face to the fan base. It would be such a smack in the face to those of us who really, really, really are invested um, so, yeah, there, there, there is no easy solution here, and there's no – I mean, at this point, we're already at a worst-case scenario, so it's just a question of, like, to what level of severity. Yeah, I actually have a weird feeling that we might go and beat Pitt because I, I feel like we're due to win at Heinz Field. It's not any type of home field advantage, yet we haven't won there in, like, what, 11 years or so. I could – it's somewhere around a decade. And Pitt, like, people haven't really discussed how much of a train wreck Pitt's been considering they have bona fide star players at running back and wide receiver. Um, they've been a terrible team, aside from those two guys, Tyler Boyd and, and James Conner. Uh, and as I, as I, you know, I'll spoil because it's going to come out tomorrow, but we or whatever, whatever the predictions come out, you'll, you'll read them anyway, everyone. Um, I say, like, the most Joe ACC thing that could possibly happen is Syracuse going to Heinz Field and winning for the first time in forever and spoiling Pitt's bowl chances. So uh, considering that the most Joe ACC thing thing that can happen happens all the time, I'm going to just – I predicted I think we're going to beat Pitt. I don't have no backing for that prediction whatsoever aside from that. I think think a couple weeks ago uh, we were talking about this, and this was like my worst-case scenario situation in which – I thought that I think that we're really going to figure out like what Scott Schaefer has in the head coach. And I'm not saying we're going to judge him for the next two games. I think he should be back, even if they win three games. Uh, you know, give him a chance for you know a redemption season. Uh, every coach is you know should be allowed that. Um, but uh, this is going to be a good test to see kind of like what his kids is, what his players have. I mean, they're literally playing for nothing other than. Pride and what kind of dance that is, knocking off this rival or like defeating this rival and like finishing fourth in the division. Like they have, you know, these little things to play for. They actually don't, you know, they're not playing for a trip anywhere. They're not, you know, 
they're just trying to go out there and win a football game and not get their butt beat in. Uh, and I guess that's what they have to play for right now. And it'll be really interesting. I, I know I said a couple of weeks ago that, that was, this is my worst-case scenario coming into this last two games was, oh, well, I'm really worried about Schaefer losing the team and, like, all things going to heck and we only win three games. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, they had the talent on defense not to lose these games. It's just, like I've always said for the last three or four weeks, just the offense needs to just show up a little bit. If the offense can show up and score a touchdown or two, uh, it's really going to go a long way to a victory because, you know, they're, they're just really wasting a good defense this year. That's just the shame of the whole thing. But it'll be interesting to see if they come up and show up. Show. Yeah, I, mean, I think you're right, Jared, with that one. Like that, That is the most disappointing thing of all is that next year the defense is going to have to have a lot of turnover. The offense is still, I mean, while the offensive line is going to have to be plugged to replace, the backfield is, is going to be largely intact. It's just disappointing to see this team kind of continually. It's like when the offense and defense, when they're experienced, is kind of, you know, it's a ship's passing in the night type situation where, where there's nothing can ever, uh, can ever really line up. And, I mean, it's not to play, you know, doomsday on this. Things happen, but at the same time, like, how many how many more times can we do this in particular? Like 2012, things sort of worked out for us, um, and then it seems like we're next year is year three in a row of of just things just not matching up, and and this team kind of searching for an identity as as you know we lean on an offense and we lean on defense and vice versa, and we just keep kind of flip flopping back and forth. Um, and against Pitt, you know, that defense is really going to come in handy, and I think the same against Boston College and a very one-dimensional offensive attack. But um, at the same time, you know, it's, it goes back to the trouble with this entire year. What does it matter if your defense plays well if your offense can't score? Yeah, and I think that's one of the nice things about having A.J. Long back for the team, assuming he is healthy or whatever the – you know, situation was. Um, if there's anything to salvage, I think it is seeing what we have going for next year. Um, I would not be shocked if AJ Long winds up being the clubhouse favorite to take the starting quarterback job next season. I think he's been the most impressive of a, a very unimpressive group of four this year, um, and he's young and he, you know, showed some moxie and some talent. So. You know, if A.J. Long goes out and wins a game or two and looks, you know, puts up some decent numbers and, you know, that could go away towards rallying the fan base and, and, you know, rallying the team together and saying, you know, we're not playing for a bowl this year, but let's go out there in the summer and the, and the winter and really make this happen for next season because we have a quarterback now or we have at least, you know, someone we know can play quarterback and we also have, you know, Terrell and he'll be out there fighting for the job too, so. Um, I, I'm, I was glad to hear that today, that, that Lon would uh, would likely play because otherwise you have Austin Wilson who I just don't – I mean, I think he has a chance to be a good player. I just don't know if this is the right system. And, and as I end up saying in our, our roundtable, I think um, we don't know what the system's going to look like next year, so maybe he ends up being a better fit. But right now he's not quite, you know, the, the, the correct player for this offense. Um, and then Kimball, I just don't know nearly enough about. We haven't seen him enough. So hopefully Long uh, goes out and has a good performance or one of those other guys goes out and has a good performance because they're all young and there is 
hope with those guys playing. Jared, anything that? Not much more on the football area. I mean, it's, I'm looking forward. I mean, I'll watch the game this week just to see if they win, uh, give an idea, especially some long plays. But, uh, you know, it's the same old story with this team. At this point, like, you know, I've kind of moved on to the basketball season. I enjoy Syracuse football. But once there's nothing to play for, just like any other football team, uh, you know, I, I don't have much invested into the football season. I mean, I watch the other college football games just because I like to. But uh, it's just it's I you know it's like a it's like a bad relationship. Once it's over with or you're done with it, you're just like eh. I can't think about it. I can't really get invested into it. I'm done. I'm over with. It. All right, move on. Next, on to the next thing. Yeah, I mean overall that that makes sense. I, I think for. I think for me, you know, Dan really uh, caught my attention with, with the comments about the quarterback situation in general. I mean, if Long goes out there and wins two straight games, that would be the only way I'd be happy with five and seven. Is if Long, if Long establishes himself as, a, as the front runner going into um, spring practice and everything else. The problem is, um, I don't think this is going to be a clean break, no matter who, you know, gets the quarterback job. I mean, Edward's going to come in, he's going to want to, and he's going to want to start right away. Um, and I think he's definitely going to get redshirted, regardless. Um, Kimball showed some some spark against Duke, but not a ton. Wilson's going to transfer if if he doesn't have a consistent chance to start, and that's why I think you're seeing for the for the next recruiting class, Syracuse kind of putting some feelers out there now because none all of these kids aren't going to stick around. I mean, Kimball's not going to stick around either if he sees himself as the odd man out in, in next year's situation, which is going to be, you know, kind of Hunt, Edward, and uh, and Long, knowing that Hunt exits after 2015, then he's still stuck behind two more guys for the rest of the time he's there. Um, so I wouldn't doubt it if we see Wilson and Kimball um, depart in the next 12 months. But, yeah, I, I am very curious to see what happens from the quarter exhibition, win or lose, hopefully win um, in some ways. Uh, to see if Long can really assert himself. Because, uh, to be honest, I I think we didn't really see much from Hunt this year, and I think it's going to take a lot for him to to unseat Long, especially knowing that Long could be the quarterback for 2015, 16, and 17 going forward if he can truly, you know, take hold of the job. Well, I mean, if he can take hold, I mean, but he's had so many chances already to do that. I mean, I I guess if... The thing about the whole quarterback situation is if Long came in and won that, I mean, won the game against Clemson and, I mean, uh, had some way, it did something in the Clemson game that made you say, all right, maybe this guy can do it. I just don't see it right now. I just don't, I think Long can do himself favors in the sense that he can learn how to win games in the ACC, but, you know, heading into the offseason, but, Overall, I mean, there's, there's really – you can't convince me that he's going to – he can win the job for next season or the next two games. They're meaningless. They're, I mean, it, it just – he can go out there and play well, but in the offseason, he's still going to have to outperform Hunt, who has proven that he can win win games for this team. And he's also going to have to beat an incoming 
freshman that everyone's high on. So, I mean, yeah, I, I wanted to see him play good, but in no way do I think that he's going to win the job for next year with two wins for him in the in the game, upcoming games. He just needs to play well. I mean, I mean, it's not going to hurt him or you know, it's not going to hurt him or hurt him or help him. Uh, I mean, it can really help him in the sense of getting, gaining more confidence if you win the games and you get experience on how to win games. But I, to me, I don't think that's going it, to – it's still going to be a quarterback competition heading into the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he, anyone can win the job in the next two games. There's just, you know, not enough skin in the game, to, so to speak. But if one goes out and has two really good performances, say he beats Pitt and BC, I mean – you know, maybe there's not a bowl implications for Syracuse, but there certainly are for BC and Pitt. Syracuse is not going to be slept on by either of those teams. BC is trying to move up the bowl list to get to, you know, a, a nice game. Pitt's trying to make one at all. Um, if Londrezan beats those teams, you know, Hunt's won games too, so he can't be discounted. I, I think he does deserve to have a, a say in this competition next year. But I, I definitely don't think it means nothing because it's not like those two teams are just coasting by. Yeah, I, I definitely buy that. Um, but, you know, it, it is going to be interesting. I, I think that there's well, – we've talked about it, too, up to this point. Syracuse football is in, a, is in a pretty big state of flux um, in, in a lot of different ways, and one of them in particular, and in, and I think, at least as far as the on-field product, is the one that's going to matter the most is quarterback. And until we, until we can find, you know, which one of these guys is – you know, going to be under center consistently um, as long as they're healthy. You know, until we can find that, it, it, every one of these games is going to be a toss-up. And, and you know, Sean's series last week definitely hit on uh, a lot of the importance of it to how we fix things um, going forward, but I think how we, how we can at least get a better handle on things now is, is by figuring out the quarterback position, you can understand how to design the offense, um, and everything trickles down from there, and you understand how to use every player better. And I think that that's one thing that's often, that this offseason is really, really going to focus on, most importantly, is, is that quarterback position. But, by the way, I want to go on the record and say that Sean's, Sean's three-part series on how to fix the football team was spot on. Like, if we were going to have a thread or, like, a discussion, a podcast about it, I would pretty much – he would do all the talking and I would do all the head nodding in favor, it would be a boring podcast, but it's intriguing that Sean's all, all of his points would be spot on. So if you haven't read that about the football team yet, go ahead and read all those stuff because that was fantastic for Sean last week. Oh, he absolutely crushed it. And, and I'm not one who necessarily totally agrees all the time that we should be playing the weakest schedules or, you know, not worrying about some other things. But at this point, it's pretty clear that there aren't the things that Syracuse is trying to do aren't working. And even if you just put some of the big series on hold or, or, you know, wait till 2022 and hope that Syracuse is, is back at that point, back to winning, you know, eight, nine games realistically every season or most seasons, then you can start adding on. But, uh, you know, I, I've been kind of resistant to the whole Rutgers scheduling thing, but eventually, you know, I'm going to be proven wrong by the lack of consistency. So I, I thought Sean really nailed it. Even even if you don't agree with every part of it, there's, it's definitely well thought out, and there's there's a lot of legitimacy to it. Um, 
just based on the uh, results of recent years. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a fantastic series. I know, like, Sean and I have been discussing it, like, before. And the weeks before, it came out. And then finally, when, when we lost to Duke, the bowl dream was over. It just seemed like the perfect time. You know what? I, I think... And I, I joked with him and said, you know what, like, if it was me, I would have burned the whole thing to the ground. So, so I, I think Sean was the right person at the right time to put all those thoughts together. And he expanded upon a lot of them. Um, if anyone got to catch the uh, ESPN Syracuse segment that he had last week, uh, you got to kind of expand upon some of the ideas. And overall, I mean, again, it was just a very, very sensible way to look at quick, quick ways to, to fix Syracuse football. Um, and at least get it to consistent respectability. Um, it's both sombering and optimistic at the same time. Excuse me. And I would very, very, very much uh, recommend it. Hopefully we don't need another similar piece for lacrosse or basketball this year. I doubt it, to be honest. But I've been surprised before. Um, that'll take us to almost halftime, though. So uh, while we're here... Uh, we can talk about beer. I know everyone loves that. Uh, just want to give a quick shout out to Audible.com, our sponsor. As always, we're pleased to be sponsored by them. They're a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including the one you're hearing us on right now. If you sign up at our URL, audibletrial.com/noonsmagician, you can get yourself one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Uh, and a couple of books I would recommend there. The California, a novel by Eden Lepucky. So that's something if you were interested in California. I was trying to find some Golden Bears related novels. I didn't find any, but yeah, it's cool. Book about California sounds fun. Um, and then, because no one cares about the Pit Panthers at all, um, Kiss a Goodbye, The Mystery, The Mormon, and The Moral of the 1960 Pittsburgh Pirates, um, who are a much more fun team to think about or talk about versus the Pitt Panthers. Um, and now we move on to beer. So, Jared, what have you, uh, what have you been indulging in lately? Well, well, well this week, gentlemen, uh, as you may not know, because John, you're in California, and, uh, Dan is in, in New York City. This this week uh, marked the start of the deer season up here in upstate New York. And this this week I was lucky enough to have a friend kind of share some new new beer with me. He said, you have to try this beer. It's it's good when it's cold and everything. I was like, all right, I'll try it. And you know what? It's not the best beer at all. But, you know, in times of when you need a bulk variety of beer, it works out. So this week, I'm drinking Keystone Light. And it, it comes in a camouflage can during the hunting season. So if you are into uh, camouflage cans and bulk drinking, Keystone Light is your beer this week. Keystone Light. Deer won't notice it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, also that's, on that's, the menu, Water. I'm pretty sure Bush also puts theirs in camouflage. I don't know why, why the – maybe they don't want, like, to admit that they're brewing those beers, so they just put them in camouflage and hope that people get tricked too. But um, 
I know that I've uh, during this time of year, especially up here, it's uh, it's like you know during deer camp or whatever it is, it's a lot of Keystone Light or it's like uh, Miller like highlights used to do it too, like orange cans. So this year, like Keystone uh, actually went with uh, the camouflage cans. Actually, I'll tell you a quick funny story. So this year, Keystone Light decided to come out with like the orange thirty packs like, for deer hunting season. So, uh, you know, they buy them in bulk around deer camp around here. So every, you know, one night, all you know, all the friends are drinking around the, the campfire. And everyone realizes at the point that Keystone, Keystone this year did not differentiate, uh, differentiate from Keystone Ice to Keystone Light. So in their, their packaging when it came to the orange 30 racks. So all through the night, everyone had bought 30, 30 racks of Keystone ice. And it was, I mean, I don't, I, I, I had my Miller Lite at the time, but uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of hilarious because I can't even imagine drinking Keystone ice. <laughs> I try not to Dark think of those days. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's a mean trick that they went from coloring their cans the color where you that you wear to not get shot by other hunters to camouflage. So, you know, if you're drinking a Keystone that's camouflaged and a hunter uh, doesn't see you, you might get shot. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, you just got to put him out of his misery. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the popular joke already this year is like, oh, I can't find my beer can. Where's my beer can? Because it's camouflaged, but... All right, so I'm done. I'm done. All right, I'm done talking. <laughs> All right, Dan, how about you? Um, yeah, so this week we've been drinking uh, a very local rare uh, craft brewery called Samuel Adams. Um, <laughs> we got a we got a we got a winter pack of Sam Adams, which is fine. Uh, not like their winters aren't my favorite, but uh. Um, the, their uh, white Christmas is pretty solid, um, kind of you know fully flavored. Uh, lots of all the holiday spices, nutmeg, uh, everything else that you can take. You, you know you get with those normal fully flavored winter beers. Uh, the old Featherwig is kind of similar. I don't know if I had had that one before. Um, I think the Boston Lager is a really good beer. Uh, I, I know Sam Adams kind of gets like a bad rap because they're so mainstream now, but I think for the most part they put out a pretty good. A uh, group of beers, um, and then I also bought myself a six pack of uh, Deuce Island uh, 312 Urban Wheat, which is for for you know fairly widely available uh, wheat beers. That one is incre- incredibly good and super drinkable. So if you're a fan of of the wheat, definitely uh, Deuce Island's a good one. I know they get a wrap too because they're owned by uh, I believe are they in Bev? Yeah, AB and Bev. Yeah, whatever. They, they they make some good beers. Who cares? Um, so those those are the the super exclusive beers I've been drinking this week that you can find literally anywhere. Nice. Damn, still gonna touch base. I'm uh, picking up that uh, pumpkin beer next week. Oh yeah, let me uh, let me know. I'll try to go find something. I haven't even done like beer shopping around here, but I'll find something. Yeah, I'd say I'm trying to think where. I'd say ask Aaron. Yeah, I should drop him a line. Yeah, if anything. Old Farb would definitely know the, the, the top places in your general area. Yeah, that's good. Right. I didn't uh, think about that. Absolutely. So for me, um, I drank a lot last weekend. 
surprise. Um, from a longtime brewery in Texas, had Yellow Rose IPA. Uh, really, really good IPA. I was pleasantly surprised um, by the hoppiness that got in there. I know once you get kind of um, east of Colorado, um, the hoppiness of IPA seems to fade, but this one definitely delivered. Um, same goes for uh, Shorts Brewing's uh, Loop Alicious IPA, um, another, another trade acquisition. A very good one. Um, spent some time up in Santa Barbara this past weekend, so uh, got to head over to uh, Firestone Walker. Has a pretty large tasting room restaurant up there, uh, so got to go to there as well as uh, Barrel Works, their uh, their souring facility. I uh, got to have some cool like beer wine hybrids that they have up there, um, including Zinskin, which kind of tastes like a Zinfandel, uh, and uh, Feral Vinifera. Which I actually gave a five on Untapped for those who uh, those who are on Untapped. Definitely a uh, delicious, delicious beer. Um, really enjoyed. Um, also got to hit up um, Figueroa Mountain Brewing. Um, actually got a cool like private tour of the, the whole facility. It was definitely like a really, a really awesome spot. So highly recommended. Um, and then some other things. Some of the other things I drank in the last week. Uh, Westbrook Ghost. Uh, like a really great um, kind of mild sour from uh, from Westbrook Brewing down in South Carolina. So the only good thing to come out of South Carolina. Sorry, I'm not sorry, Clemson. Um, so would recommend that. I know that's pretty available in the Mid-Atlantic to New York areas. So yeah, get on that. But now to happier things. Let's talk about Syracuse basketball. All right. Yeah. So, uh, Jared, we'll start with you. Um, other than Rocky and Christmas, because I think that's the easy answer here, um, most impressive Syracuse players are two games. Oh, man, now you put me on a spot because I actually did not have yet to catch up to the Hampton game. But uh, B.J. Johnson's uh, – Performance in the the opener was impressive. I liked that. Tim coming off the bench, deciding that he's actually going to do something, uh, was kind of nice in the opener. And you know, Chris McCullough, he's 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 not going to be like the Carmelo Anthony type guy that we, you know, that some were expecting. I didn't expect that, but they, he wasn't the you know that type of guy. But he's going to be solid. I mean, he's he's only going to get better as the season progresses, and that's a good thing. Uh, for this team. So if you have Rack and then you have McCullough inside uh, trying to be the maybe number one, number two guy, because, you know, Cooney's not doing his thing, um, that's going to be good. So McCullough has been probably the guy that I, I kinda, I've liked what I've seen so far. Obviously, he's going to get tested as the competition gets a little bit better, but it seems like he's the type of guy that is going to re- – he has no problem rebound, wanting to rebound. He has no problem of like trying to has confidence in himself to, you know, put up a shot here or there, which is good. And it seems like Bayheim has confidence in him to do that. Uh, so yeah, I, I think McCullough has been the guy that I've really kind of liked and seen and read, and read a little bit about uh, in the early going. So it'd be nice to see what he does in, in the next upcoming games against uh, better competition.
Dan, your own thoughts? Yeah, I, I, he kind of Jared kind of nailed the two I was thinking of. Um, I'm, I think McCullough. You know, everyone was really excited about him because he was one of the biggest recruits we've gotten in years. And then it seemed like there was a little bit of like everyone trying to temper their own expectations before he even played, which was fine. I think that was all fair. Um, I think he's been pretty impressive. Uh, aside from the last game where he, you know, wasn't didn't quite do the rebound numbers he had done in the exhibitions in the first game. Um, but he's definitely more more effective uh, on the board than I thought he would be, especially because he is pretty slight in terms of uh, his frame. Um, but it also, he's allowed us to play this high-low game that we really haven't had from our bid end since probably uh, Rich Jackson. Um, maybe we, I mean, we did a little bit of it with uh, Fab and uh, a couple of the other guys in 2012, but um, we really didn't haven't had a, a high-low game um in the last couple of years because we haven't had forwards that can really score. And now we have Christmas who can absolutely store out of all, all of a sudden and McCullough who can do it as well. And is also a better passer, I think, than, than we expected. So he's been, he's been a very, I wouldn't say a pleasant surprise. He's a five-star player. You expect him to be good, but he's probably been better right away than I thought he would be. Um, and then BJ Thompson has been kind of a revelation because he was one of the forgotten guys on this team. But uh, I'm very interested going forward to see how Beheim handles uh, the rotation, specifically between uh, BJ and Ron Patterson. Um, people freaked out a little bit because Ron kind of got to the shaft in the last team. And it sounds like, uh, according to Beheim, that was more because uh, Hampton was running so much zone. So it'll be interesting to see how much teams zone us. They've been doing it a lot in the recent years. Um, if BJ is that zone buster, then maybe we see less Ron, but then obviously Patterson's a guy who can heat up as well. So I think that um, it's very interesting to see Beheim playing matchups like that rather than just having his normal seven or eight guys. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it's a sign of progression. Um, we didn't really expect too much from BJ, uh, at least based on what we knew from the summer, and all of a sudden he's dropping 19 points. Uh, I know the competition wasn't great, but definitely more than, than we thought we would get out of him. And if he and Ron can combine to be – you know, at least one uh, good player every game between the two of them, I think we have a, a very nice wrinkle to this team. Yeah, I think that's the key there. Um, is it, you know, we knew kind of what was expected of Rack, and then everybody else has really just been, um, whether it's through two games or maybe one game more than another, um, it, it's been great to see, I mean, for me, um, to see some actual depth um, in the middle. I mean, McCullough has really come on, and, and, you know, part of that's assisted by Christmas being there, so it takes some attention away from McCullough. But, um, you know, having two guys who can really kind of own the middle um, on both ends is, is refreshing for us. Um, I think it's really it has the potential to really change the dynamic of this team uh, long term, um, especially you know the course of the season. Um, and then yeah, uh, you guys had mentioned B.J. Johnson, who who was kind of a surprising um, surprising force. I know his name was kind of bandied around with with a few others, you know, Buck Patterson um, and Michael Benajay, as well as some of the other guys. But you know those guys. Those guys had the potential to really, again, you know, change the change the entire makeup of this team. Um, and if a guy like B.J. Johnson is going to come in um, and put up the points that, that he has, 
so far. I mean, you're looking at, you know, almost 14 points a game, six and a half rebounds. Like that's, that's a great, great um, line for a guy who um, you know, wasn't really thought of as one of the primary contributors or starters going into the season, but could very well turn himself into that right away. Um, even a guy like Roberson, who, um, you know, played not limited minutes, but sparing minutes, I mean, 21 minutes um, a game through two, but he's got eight and a half and six. I mean, that's the type of numbers that you're looking for out of those guys. And the the disconcerting part, and, and we'll get to that um, in a sec, is you look at all those guys at um, at forward positions selling, but what we still lack is is a guard who can really, really shoot. Um, and, and that, I guess, leads to my next question of, you know, what has been the most concerning thing through two games um, for you? For me, it's been it's been guard play, um, and that's not to take away from Caleb Joseph. It's just to mention that, that there are there are things um, that we'd like to see more of. But, uh, Jared, what, what has been most uh, disconcerting for you, even if not majorly, just in general? Like, what if, what, what do you want to see more of that you haven't seen to this point? I mean, I I will say that the most concerning thing is Cooney's inability to, you know, just hit the three. I mean, and that, that and the only reason why I say that, and that's I'm not getting on Cooney. I'm not going to, you know, give up on him now. Like it's early in the season. I know he has he's been on and off for a while now, and it's I'm getting to the point where I think it's going to be it's starting to get into his head. But I'm, I'm not going to give up on him. I mean, I'm, I'm not at the point where I'm going to, like, bash him. But it is concerning when you have a three-point threat like Cooney and he's not making shots, like, even during games where he's getting wide-open looks. And eventually I do think it's going to come if he keeps working. If he keeps working hard and keeps taking the shots, they're going to fall. But that also has to be the other the rest of the team has to help them out, too. Like, I mean, we can't just – I mean, they're they're winning these easier games because they're more talented. So put, like, let's not forget that, like, if the other – if the team around Cooney is not making threes or not helping him out, like, inside grabbing rebounds or – I mean, you know, what does Jay Billis always say? The best three that you can always get is the one where you get the offensive rebounds to kick out to a wide-open guy. Like, you know, and Cooney is – I mean – when was the last time? Maybe he's gotten a couple of those, but like, when was the last time Cooney got an open three, like off offensive rebound, like here, there, like you just you always see him like trying to force something or trying to do. It's very tough, and you know everyone compares him to McNamara, and it percentage wise, McNamara wasn't always a huge uh, three point threat, but he always seemed to make it in a, in, a, in an area where he, you know you could count on him, but. I just think that's concerning because if it continues, this team is going to really struggle. Like, if he's not hitting three or four three-pointers a game, or at least doesn't have that threat to, teams are really just going to, you know, clamp down on Christmas McCullough and just pray that the other guys don't heat up. Like, if Patterson doesn't catch fire or B.J. Johnson doesn't come off the bench and score 19 points or, you know, Benajay has a huge night uh, from the outside they're going to count on that. So if if Cooney's not hitting threes, that is concerned. So if that's not happening early, like there's not a lot of confidence that it's going to happen once they see better opponents. 
So I think that's the one thing we're going to hopefully see Thursday and Friday is, like, finally he just starts knocking down something or eventually down the line during the non-conference, he starts knocking down something uh, and it works out because that is the concerning part. They need to have that threat. Uh, they need to hit some shots because the last two games, or even against Hampton, it seems like they weren't making shots. And as we saw from last year, if they're not making shots, they're not going to win games, and they're going to lose games to Dayton like they shouldn't lose. So that's the concerning thing is they've got to start making shots. Uh, and Cooney's the one that you start with. So that, that's my number one concern. Yeah, I think Cooney's the easy answer. And while I've been pretty, you know, stout on uh, on not getting too concerned about Cooney through two games, I do think, you know, obviously shooting as a team is a thing that, you know, needs to come from somewhere. We've seen what happens in recent years when a team can't shoot. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not pretty. Um, I'm more concerned about depth in the front court. I, I don't think McCullough is a great, answer at the five, and I think we should try to avoid him playing there. I just don't know how we avoid it because Christmas for, you know, college basketball ref, uh, penal- penalties and foul falls are so ridiculous sometimes that you can have Christmas put his arm straight up and not move and play about as perfect defense as you can, and he might get a foul called on him. And to have your 20, 20% of your fouls called on what doesn't seem like anything can really become a huge problem. Um, so, I don't really know if there's a solution because this is the team we have, but I think McCullough playing the five is a dangerous proposition because he is probably more prone to drawing fouls just because he's an inexperienced player and it's not his natural position. I don't know if Chino Aboko is ready to play the five for more than a couple spot minutes every every game, and it seems like that's what we're trying to do. Um, and then Christmas, while he is definitely a better player this year, I mean, he might not even be able to help himself much in the foul trouble depending on what the refs are like on a given night. So that concerns me more because if we lose Christmas in a game early, uh, I don't know how easily we'll be able to win against a decent team. Yeah, I think that's the story of, um, if not the last year and change, the last two years and change is, you know, how long can those centers stay in? I know one of the main reasons why uh, Syracuse got to the Final Four two years ago uh, was because, you know, Fikeda just happened to catch fire at the right time and helped propel the team when it needed, you know, clutch free throw shooting and and solid play in the middle. Um, And, yeah, I I think, once again, it's – we're going to kind of rise and fall on how long those big guys can stay out there. I think we're going to gain a a lot of, uh, for those of us who don't already, um, I think we're going to have a lot of new Bicata fans this year. And he's not playing, obviously. Oh, yeah. I I agree. (laughs) I I agree that uh, probably 1B concerning is, I think, I was thinking about this the other day, but, my concern about the big man is I like the step forward that Christmas is taking. Like, he's assertive. He wa- it's, this is his team. Like, you know, he's, like, got that senioritis in a lot of uh, Syracuse basketball players. You know, Farah had that. Uh, you know, Scoop Jardine and Joseph kind of had that. Uh, like, all right, this is my team now. This is my – like, I've waited all these years, 
and I've played behind all these guys, and now I'm going to step this up. I guess you could say Deion Wazers had this too, you know, because he finally got his playing minutes up, and Carter Williams had this as well. But, like, he's at that point where he's like, I got that senior right as well, like, I want to perform. And you can see that, and you were like, oh, this is the King Christmas we wanted, like, last year or the year before. Like, the step up, be aggressive, play with that sort of anger. But my concern is with the big man, especially with him, is he's made that step forward as a senior. But, I mean, offensively, he can still rebound, and he's got a couple offensive moves. But is he really good enough to carry a team? Like, he's not, like, Okafor good. Not like Kurt Okafor and the uh, Mika Okafor good. Like, he's not that, like, Anthony Davis good center-wise to, like, carry a team to a Final Four stuff. So I think that's another concern I have is, like, it's nice to see Christmas doing what he's doing, but I don't – I want everyone else to kind of start contributing too because if he's the one guy that we're relying on, I don't think he's good enough to carry us, you know, to where – carry us to the expectations that we think this team could go by the end of the season. I mean, am I I the only one that's thinking that? I mean, we'll find out, and especially if we play Texas on Friday, which is, you know, we're definitely jumping ahead by assuming that because Cal, I think, is a pretty decent team. But if we play Texas, that front court will be a really, really big test for Christmas. And if he comes out on stage than Miles Turner and Cameron Ridley and all the other guys they have, I think we'll know a lot more about what type of player Christmas is this year. Yeah, I agree there. I think you know, right now we kind of see Christmas in the lens of, hey, increased production, but also remembering all the things that he has been. Now that he's supposed to be the guy, um, I, I think games against teams like Cal and Texas or Iowa um, are really going to give us um, a much better picture and clearer picture of whether he can be, you know, the guy that you kind of alluded to, Jared, I mean, the guy that leads the team to a conference championship, to a Final Four. Um, I think it's too early to really say whether or not those things can happen, but I I do have faith that, you know, if if he shows up this week, that that we could be be in for a season in which, you know, one guy really takes that leap, gets himself first-team all-conference, and who knows what else from there. So where do we want to go with this convo now? Do we want to go – John, you had a good preview with Cal at the, the Cal website, right? Like, I, I haven't got quite, I haven't quite got to it yet, but uh, what's your kind of expectations going into Thursday? Um, I mean, for me, uh, and it was good to have a kind of quick talk with them. I know um, my answers are going to head up – are going to go up over there tomorrow. Um you know, Cal, just like usual, they can shoot from the perimeter um, and, and they know how to score quickly. And, and I've, I said to them, and we kind of bounced it around, in general, um, that's the formula for any team to beat Syracuse. It's, it's not, you know, it's not about, it's not about shooting quickly, it's about scoring quickly, and it's not about um, shooting from the outside, it's about scoring from the outside. Um, tons of teams have been able to, find ways to beat us by shooting well from the perimeter, but a lot of other teams have 
have killed themselves in games because they tried to beat us from the perimeter and and and, and avoided, you know, getting players like Rocking Christmas into foul trouble. Um, you know, you look at a team like Dayton that just was able to take advantage of Syracuse's inability to score and score just enough to win the game. Um, while, you know, you look back a couple of years, a team like Wisconsin um, seemed like they couldn't miss from three, still lost the game because that was the only place they could hit from. Um, I, I think the, the current iteration of the 2-3 zone is really, uh, is really perplexed a lot of teams. I think Cal has the players to figure it out, especially since they have the experience playing against it. But you know what? I, I will see. I, I think that there's, I think that there's a better chance Cal beats us now than than maybe in the last couple times we faced each other. But at the same time, I do think this two-three zone doesn't really do much for the personnel that they have um, in terms of in terms of them putting up the type of points that they would like to. Yeah, I think the whole, like, just shoot threes and you'll beat Syracuse thing is totally overblown considering I'm pretty sure our three-point defense has been better than uh, the average team, like, since Bayheim made the move to, uh, you know, recruiting these long zone-oriented players. Um, generally, our three-point defense is really good. Um, and obviously, every so often, teams going to get really hot and just bomb people out from out there, but that can happen in its man, too. So, I think the whole thing is overblown, and I, I totally support the zone. Um, it's what the team's comfortable with. It's what they're recruited for. It's what the coaching staff knows what they uh, has had a coach. Um, and any anti-zone stuff is, just drives me nuts because it's been so successful. Well, yeah, is it sort of like, I mean, if if, if we're looking at like analytics or we're in the analytics stage or whatever, analytics stage, sorry, analytics, where you can, at the same talk, but, uh, in the sense of, like, if you're looking at, like, a football perspective, we're, like, when it comes to defense in college basketball, we're, like, the Oregon offense of football, right? Like, we're sort of a, not ahead of our time, but Bayheim has figured out a sense that, all right, we're going to always, I mean, from here on out, until he retires, they're going to have a good defense. I mean, they're, they're not going to have a bad defense in the sense that eventually everyone, by the season's end, everyone's going to figure out, what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to do what they're doing in their zone, what different things they can do in the zone. Um, and it doesn't matter who you bring in. And then eventually what's going to come down to this team being successful or not is how much they score. So, I mean, that's the big thing with Graham doing the zone the way he does it now is it's a system. So that's what he can implement every year, and that's what they can focus on every year. So I, I don't – and it's really like – it's, I mean, it's a zone, but it's, it has multiple things to it that they switch and they can adjust. So, yeah, it, it, whatever. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me too much. No, it's, it's totally, you're, you're totally right about that. It, it, the defense is different every year. Like, there was there are years where he adds in more trapping because we have players like Andy Routon who are adept at that, and there are years where – he does more, you know, extend, extends it out by the, to the wings more. Or there's years where he protects the corners more. So I just think Bayheim somehow might be underrated uh, just because if you watch the team from year to year, that zone is, is a very much a living thing. Uh, it's, ne- it's not always the same even from, like, half to half. So 
uh, it's always a pleasure to watch as someone who, you know, I try to appreciate what goes into coaching, and, and he clearly is so in tune with how that defense works at this point. Um, and I am almost a little surprised. We, we've seen more zone in, in, love, in all of the basketball, but we haven't seen anyone just straight up really adopt it uh, like, like Syracuse has. Uh, and I really won't, wouldn't be shocked if that comes soon because it's been so effective. Yeah, that's spot on. And I know, Dan, you mentioned that three-point percentage. Um, without looking at stats, I do remember a couple articles that called out, you know, just how faulty the thinking was that you could just shoot threes against SU. I believe um, for the last two or three seasons, we've been among the top five in three-point uh, field goal percentage defensively. Um, so if that's any indication, kind of, of, uh, of where we stand uh, on that front. I, I think that's there's at least something to point to. Granted, um, I would say that if you if you take more threes against Syracuse, but the, the field goal percentage is lower, you still might be able to make up a difference with the team because of the fact that, you know, if you know you're not going to hit those twos because the, the zone's too long, it's on the interior, um, I'll say if you take 15 more threes and, and you're still hitting at a you know a 30% clip, I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea. But, but at the same time, yeah, I, I don't think there's necessarily a, a a uniform way to attack the zone. I think it's the question of, of hitting shots. And, and with the more recent iterations of the team, the last three years, um, pace. You know, you, you you can outrun SU if if you can score, um, because you know our offense right now just can't seem to put up points. And I'm hoping that that's something that, that changes throughout the season. It looked like it changed in game one, and looked like it didn't in game two. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens um, against teams like Cal and, and either Texas or Iowa this week. I'm just looking real quick when we talk about like. The defense, if you think about, like, when was the last time, like, Syracuse was, like, completely blown out of a game? And the only other time, like, I can think was Virginia last year happened, and then you go all the way back to Georgetown when they couldn't make a shot and the offense was terrible in 2000, you know, the final four year. And then, I mean, you could argue that, Maybe the Louisville game and the Big East tournament was, but that was not because our defense was bad. It was just we were exhausted. But if you, I mean, if you look back in the history in the last three or four years, the amount of times that Syracuse defensively has been blown out of a game, um, it's very rare. It doesn't happen. Like, and that's that's the good thing about the zone is, I mean, this year Syracuse may lose more games than we expected here or there or in, in recent history, but I'm going to bank on more games that are going to be closer. Like, they're going to be close games that we lose, not games that we get shellacked in, because it's just our defense is going to be good enough. It just, it's, in the end, it's, our offense is not going to be good enough. So, I mean, a lot of the, and the credit to that is our defense in the zone. So, I I think Bayhams finds found something that's worked, and he's kept to it, and that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Uh, and just like, just it's just like Kentucky. They've, you know, Cal Perry's found something that they've done. They can recruit these one and done players and run two guys at everybody or two squads at everybody and go at it. So, 
just like, you know, you got coach finds something and sticks to it. So that's just the way it goes sometimes. This is what Beheim wants to do. Yeah, I, I definitely agree there. I think the defense has really led this team in recent years. Um, there, there's a reason why, though, and it's funny because we, we talked about it with, a, I feel like not just within ourselves, but others um, last year about just how good that team looked compared to others um, in, in recent history, especially. I think that um, we all hold the 2009-2010 team in such high regard um, because of, of the – that was really the intersection of, of superior offense and superior defense uh, with this with this program before um, things sort of fell back toward the defensive side. Now we're seeing a team that can't score but can stop anybody. 2009-2010 um, saw a team that really played very sound defense across the board um, – you know, Routens was was a by his senior year was was a an above average to, to good um, perimeter defender. Wes Johnson was a very good defender um, at the collegiate level. Um, Onowato and Jackson were, were both very very good on the interior. Um, you know that that was a very good defensive team, um, and, and that coming from you know the 06 07 team, which who couldn't stop anyone and just let people score at will. Um, 07 08 similar and. And you started to see in 0809 the shift, but that's, that team still let up a ton of points. I mean, even without the six overtimes, um, they let up a ton of points. That UConn team, they really they didn't stop anybody, but they could also score on anybody. Um, and again, the 2009-2010 team is really um, kind of kind of met in the middle. And again, that's why I, I mean, that was my senior year team. Um, and I think, but I think a lot of other fans do view that team with, with special and high regard because of um, just how good the, both the offense and defense was, especially compared to what we're seeing now of an offense that really can't get out of its own way against elite opponents, at least last year. We'll see this year, though. Yeah, I think that team, more than any other in recent years, just had it all, uh, except that they only had – you know, once AO went went down, they really didn't. But that that was probably the best defensive team they had had, at least since I've been watching. It was the most efficient offensive team. I don't know if it was the best, but I, it might have been. It had the you know two really excellent shooters, two uh, two very serviceable point guards, two big men that score. Like that 09 or 10, uh, 2010 team was just an absolute killer. Um, and it still makes me depressed to know that they didn't win the national championship. But uh. If they if they can ever get a team with that kind of balance on both ends of the court, then I think Syracuse is uh, going to be something a force to be reckoned with. And and this team actually, you know, this year's team, I think has the potential for more balance than we've had in recent years, where it's been more of a, a dribble drive team on offense. So so it's a young team because we play so many sophomores and two we start two true freshmen. But yeah, maybe there's potential there by the end of the year. Maybe next year we have some of those guys really break out. Um, but I'm I'm very optimistic. I think this should be a, a very interesting team, uh, if anything, and and a one that will definitely develop over the course of the year uh, because it's it's a really young group. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun next couple of days to see what this team is made up, or at least get an idea of what we can expect moving forward. Um, all right, but guys, I know we're crunching on time here. 
before we leave, I do have a little trivia for you guys. ACC trivia, or not ACC trivia, but Syracuse trivia. So can I give it to you so you guys can figure, sure. figure this out before we leave? Sure, go for it. All right. Go for it. Okay, I can give you guys some guesses here before you, I, we figure this out. Okay. So the AP poll came out this week, and I was looking looking at some information, reading some stuff. All right. Duke has been ranked in uh, the AP poll for 137 consecutive AP polls, which is right now an NCAA best. So for 130 straight weeks, they've been in the top 25. Can you – Syracuse is second in the ACC or, – or regularly – second in the ACC for consecutive weeks in the AP poll. Do you know how many weeks they've been in the AP, in the AP poll? Give me a number. I would, I would assume every week since the beginning of the 09-10 season. So that, I, that's the answer. Were, I don't know how many weeks that is. So that's yeah, so I'd say we're looking at – 112? Dan? Yeah, if, if that's – John has it. I don't know what the number is, but that – I remember we were unranked to start for the 2009-2010 season, and I'm pretty sure we've been ranked the whole rest of the time because even when we've gone on some losing streaks, they've followed, like, 20-game winning streaks. So we've – I don't think we've fallen out of the poll since, since the first, like, two weeks of the West Johnson team. Well, it's not as high as 120, but it's 96. 96 consecutive weeks Syracuse has been in the top 25. They've been number one 17 times overall, not like during the streak, but overall like in the history of the program. Uh, And a total of 539 times overall uh, in program history, which looking at this is fourth overall in the ACC which includes North Carolina, Duke, and Louisville. So that's pretty impressive. I mean, that's 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 a good company to be in if you're 96 weeks straight in the top 25. So that's, that's a good company to be in. I don't know if it's going to end this week, but hopefully it won't. Hopefully the Orange get a uh, victory on Thursday and uh, can kind of stay up there because I'm feeling their, their other their, – their next opponent is going to be like maybe top 25 worthy to Texas or Iowa uh, when they play for the championship there. So it's going to, it's going to come down. So that's, that's what we have on the line this week, fellas, is 96 weeks in the top 25 pool in the AP. Well, that tells me is I think Syracuse might have this basketball thing figured out. I think this might be something that the school does. <laughs> I guess. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I think that's a good place to. to um, thank you guys again for uh, for jumping on. Always a pleasure, and uh, hopefully the good vibes we're sending Syracuse now translate to actual on-court results. Yeah, and if anyone sees me at uh, MSG on Friday, say hi. Oh yeah, have fun at the MSG this weekend. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. I look forward to it. I always, always enjoy going to the garden. I'm away from home. And by the oh, way, folks, yeah, if, you're, if you're a basketball fan and the, if you're looking for a lot of good action this week, a lot of 
good te- uh, a lot of good basketball there. But go ACC wise, Duke is ranked number four. North Carolina number six. Louisville number seven. Virginia number nine. Look at that. Four teams in top ten. We have fantastic basketball in our way this year. And we're not one of those four teams. Hey, but we get to play all of them. I know. We'll get get there. Anyway, so uh, with that said, uh, this has been Troy Noons, an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo. Uh, With me was Dan Lyons and Jared Smith. Uh, Be sure to subscribe, like, review, rate us on Blog Talk Radio and on iTunes. Always appreciated. Uh, And, yeah, go Orange. Go Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000-square-foot showroom is Court-certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.